1: What's up Kings fans, if you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcast, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor, it's totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.
0: This is for you, Kings fans, wherever you may be. All the frustration and disappointment of the past is gone. The 45-year drought is over. The Los Angeles Kings are indeed the kings of the National Hockey League. They are the 2012 Stanley Cup champions. Cleared away by the Kings, picked up by Martinez. Martinez to Clifford. Feeds it right side to Foley with a shot. Save rebound, score! Alec Martinez has won the Stanley Cup for the Los Angeles Kings. And royalty reigns again in the NHL.
2: What's up, Kings fans, and welcome to the Hockey Royalty Podcast, the official podcast of HockeyRoyalty.com. I'm Scott Kinville, and before we get going, I want to let you know that you can find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook at the Hockey Royalty Podcast, and you can also find us at Hockey underscore Royalty and at Royalty underscore pod, and those are both on Twitter. I kind of screwed that up. Sorry about that. But anyways, we got a great show lined up for you. And before we bring our guest in, I'm going to bring in my co-host. So I'm going to let you know that Russ is not here just yet. He'll be here in the second part, but he's not here right now. But as always, riding shotgun with me is the editor of HockeyRoyalty.com. He is our Shakespeare. He is our Pulitzer Prize winner, if you will. He is the one. He is the only. He's Mr. Ryan Sykes. What's going on, buddy? Hey, Scott. It's been a little while since we've gotten together.
3: How are you? I doing? know. I know. We almost forgot what each other's voices sounded like. <laughs> I uh, just I call your voicemail sometimes and then hang up Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just to hear it.
2: Well, I got to remember to change the message then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's too much. Like I said, Russ is going to join us in the second half. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring our guest. Our guest is the author of Hockey 365, Daily Stories from the Ice. He's a hockey historian. He's also a contributor for the L.A. Kings. He is Mr. Mike Camino. Mike, thanks for coming
0: on. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So how you been? All right. Yeah, I'm holding up. You know, it's uh, I guess officially the last day of August when when we're talking. So I mean, I was uh, saying to my staff this week that it's the in our in our world it's the last week of summer because the next week uh, the new semester starts up. So it was a little, uh, I think, a little disappointing to phrase it in that way. But uh, but I can't complain. Everything's going well up here in Sudbury. So I'm looking forward to the new school year and uh, the new hockey season coming up. That's right. You're you're in Sudbury, Ontario. I am. Yeah. So, uh, north of Toronto, So weather is still nice right now, but that's probably going to change in about uh, six weeks or so. It's going to start to cool off.
3: Hey Mike, when I reached out to you a couple of weeks ago to come on the pod, you said you were getting away to the cottage for a bit. Does everyone in Canada have a cottage? <laughs> uh,
0: I wish. I don't have a cottage. We, we were fortunate enough to have friends that have cottages. So we went to, uh, we were in Quebec just on the other side of Ottawa okay. for a few days. Uh, our friends have a place up there and it was uh, it was probably the first place I've been to since February of 2020 about a six hour drive away, but it felt like, uh, to be in another planet because no cell service there. So I was completely off the grid uh, and it was just really nice to unplug for a few days and get away from zoom and get away from teams and all that stuff.
3: Yeah. Some, sometimes it's nice to unplug. I tell these guys here, you know, I'm going to be on vacation unplug, and, I'm still responding to messages, still writing articles, you know, from my phone. <laughs> oh
0: yeah, I've done a few staycations this summer and yeah, unless you're willing to take email off your phone, like people can get hold of you, they can call you, yeah. they can track you down. And even if they don't think they're making you think about work, you know, you're thinking about work, right? So mm-hmm. at least you, you got to go out in the bush and leave your devices <laughs> behind.
3: <laughs> so Mike, I got
0: to ask you, just tell us
3: a little, a little bit about your background and how you got into kind of just um, obviously a lot of people that follow you on Twitter know that you kind of You post multiple things throughout the day of uh, what happened, you know, on this day. Um, Talk about how you find that and just, yeah, just uh, tell us about
0: you. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've always loved hockey since I was a kid. I never played at an organized level. My mom likes to joke that uh, we didn't put me in because she thought it was too dangerous, but we did move around a lot when I was a kid. So I think that, That's partly the reason, maybe the reason my mom said, but uh, I got to play on like backyard rinks and neighborhood rinks and things like that. Uh, So I always enjoyed it. And then I always enjoyed the history and history in general. Right. So then I, I got into the history of hockey, loved collecting hockey cards, loved learning about the stories of the players. Some of my favorite cards that I had as a kid were actually like the, the hockey cards of the trophies to learn, you know, why the lady Bing was called the lady Bing and the history behind that. And, you know, the art Ross and all that stuff. So I think from an early age, I was drawn to history. I eventually got into that, uh, you know, as my uh, academic pursuit, I went to, uh, ended up getting a PhD in Canadian history, but I focused on environmental history. Uh, and while I was doing my, uh, my graduate work, I started to realize that the skills I was developing, you know, as a historian were transferable to hockey. I'd always, you know, been interested in, in reading about hockey and in reading stories about hockey, but I never pictured myself having a role in that world. But I started to think that, hey, there's plenty of hockey history out there. Um, You know, I think I can maybe use the skills I've been developing, but apply them to tell hockey history for uh, a more popular audience and not necessarily an academic audience like the way that I've been doing. And so really, I just kind of got into it from there. I started just blogging for myself. Eventually, some opportunities came up. Uh, And as a historian, I found that, you know, among my group of environmental historians, I think we were pretty early adopters of Twitter. I got on Twitter in 2011. Uh, maybe just a few years after it launched. And, you know, it was a great platform for historians to connect and share work. But I also noticed there was obviously a burgeoning hockey community there. And I kind of thought that, you know, with my background, hockey history made sense. You know, I uh, admired the work that Jen Conway, uh, aka NHL History Girl, had been doing. I uh, just tried to put my own spin on it. Uh, I started doing that, yeah, probably, I guess, six years ago. And in, honestly, the way that I initially got into it was that uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame used to have a a historic generator where you'd go onto their websites and you would punch in a day and you'd hit go and it would give you uh it would spit out all the dates, you know, that are all the significant moments that happened on that date. So I started mining that, using that for uh, for my Twitter. And then uh, you know, I, I kind of got further along, started doing my own research, you know, taking what I could see from NHL.com and other websites and kind of putting that together, pulling stuff out of books I'd read, I'd bookmark stuff, go back, write out that's a date that I want to remember um and honestly i think the the biggest the best resource i had was that uh the hockey hall of fame had a back-end website that populated that that generator and i was talking to a fellow who runs the st louis uh st louis blues history uh twitter feed and uh, i think that day i shared with him you know a piece of blues history and he's like well i already know about that do you know about this website so he shared with, with me this link where if you punch in any day um it'll it'll have a list like this long of everything that happened that day from birthdays you know to any kind of transaction any big game stuff it it stops at the just before the 2004-05 lockout but it was just a gold mine because you could just change the number you know in the address bar of the date and then it would just keep giving you this information so i just slowly built you know my own archive on twitter and so now i think i've built up a pretty good database so every year i'm just kind of going back through it Uh, You know, rescheduling all those old tweets and then finding new ones as obviously the seasons get updated. Um, But yeah, like that was honestly the biggest thing for me was being able to have access to that raw data. The funny thing was, though, is that 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 guy, I guess he considers me a competitor. He since (laughs) blocked me. Uh, So I I, I don't see any I don't see any of his tweets on, you know, St. Louis Blues history or the. He's got another hockey magazine feed. I'm blocked on that too. So I don't, him and I started off pretty uh, collegially, but uh, obviously something happened along the way and uh, I'm no longer privy to those tweets. So it's all good though. <laughs> oh man,
2: that's too bad.
0: Yeah. Well, is he verified? Uh, no, I don't know. I mean, maybe he is. <laughs> I, I haven't been able we to don't see know, him for a right? years. So yeah. I don't know. So <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe I said something, but otherwise credit to him. He helped me out in a big way. So yeah, for whatever reason, we went astray.
3: Uh, Mike, I know we'll get to it in a little bit, but um, you are a contributor
0: to the LA Kings in some capacity. But do you have a favorite team? Uh, I mean, I'd be lying if I uh, if I if I said anything other than the Maple Leafs. Um, I was born into being a Maple Leafs fan. My mom's a huge Leafs fan, uh, so I think you know she's uh, she's a big hockey fan, and so she ultimately got me. Into the Leafs, Um, you know, I I have memories of watching the playoff runs in the early 90s. So, you know, I was a big Doug Gilmore, Wendell Clark fan growing up. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we still talk about uh, the the missed uh, high stick call in 93. (laughs) Not that, uh, you know, I think I've come around to, to accepting what happened. They had other opportunities to close out that series after that. So it can't all be chalked up to that call. Uh, but yeah, that you know that that is my favorite team. Obviously, I think with the work that I've done for the Kings over the last three years, they obviously have a place in my heart. I think I've, you know, been fortunate enough to be able to to cover the team's history in such a way that I'm I'm kind of invested, you know, in the current product on the ice. A lot of my stories don't really focus on what the team is currently doing, but I think I have to, you know, at least in a cursory fashion, keep up with what the team is doing, whether it's moves the front office is making or you know trying to catch as many games as I can. Uh, but certainly, I think. Whatever happens, you know, if I end up writing for the Kings for the next, you know, five years or I finish in the next five months, um, I'll always look back, I think, pretty fondly and think about the Kings. Um, you know, there's some local connections here in Sudbury as well with, with, with the Kings. And so I think that's always been kind of a, a reason why I was pretty, you know, pretty ecstatic when the opportunity came around in 2018. Obviously, I think the opportunity to contribute to any NH- NHL team is something I would have jumped at uh, three years ago. But uh, it just so happens that I think there was a lot of synergies there you know, between me and the Kings and I think people of my age growing up with Wayne Gretzky. So obviously it was kind of a no-brainer, you know, for me to jump at that, uh, that chance when it came around. Yeah. yeah. I mean,
3: obviously in 2018, the Kings were going through kind of a transitional period. Um, uh, just kind of walk us through how the opportunity presented itself.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, uh, I, I, I go back and think about, uh, about the role that Twitter and, and podcasting played with that. So the, the full story is that after the, after I finished my PhD, I started emailing every NHL club and asking if they had, uh, you know, a team historian on their, in their front office or if, and if they didn't, would, are they looking for one? And <laughs> I honestly got a responses from, from quite a few of the teams. I'd say the, the by and large, the majority of the league had got back to me in some capacity. And so I was on uh, Jesse Cohen's, all the Kings men podcast. This mm-hmm. was in, yeah, the summer of 2018. And I reiterated that story about how, you know, I tried to get a gig as a team historian. It never worked out, talked about, you know, how I'd reached out to all these various clubs. And then I went on Twitter and I repeated that story, you know, just by uh, kind of putting a couple of tweets together to kind of tell that the story about how I'd tried and failed to become a team historian. And, and the Kings, I guess, came upon that tweet. And so they replied to me and said, we never got a message from you, which was not true. I did get a nice response from the Kings at the time, but <laughs> I was obviously not going to say anything in the moment. So I just said, <laughs> No problem. Like name the time, uh, happy to connect. And so we took the conversation offline and, you know, they they obviously said that they had been following my work for a little bit with the history of stuff that I've been doing for vice and, and sports and, and other places like that. And we're wondering if I was interested in doing similar type coverage, you know, for the, for the team's website. And so that was in, you know, the summer of 2018 and I wrote my first piece for the team and in, in October of 2018. And, you know, now that at the time that we're talking right now, I've written over 50 stories for the Kings, so honestly, like it might've come around in its, you know, organically at some point they might've found me. Um, but I honestly do credit, you know, I think early on too, I, I forgot this part. Cause I mean, the reason I was on Jesse's podcast is because I used to blog for the Royal half, uh, oh, you know, yeah. this was probably like mm-hmm. five years ago. And they gave me an opportunity to, I think, kind of find my voice and, you know, figure out what I really wanted to write about. They took a chance and let me kind of write some weird stuff for the website. But, you know, that's, I think in keeping with, what the Royal half did. And, and I think some of the, you know, some of the levity they brought to the sport. So I think having known some of those folks back in the day, you know, gave me the chance to go on Jesse's podcast when I did, you know, maybe, you know, the Kings were aware of, of stuff like that, but I think certainly, being on social media uh, and, and having the opportunities that I had to be on podcasts like Jesse's, I think allowed me, I think the stars kind of aligned and it all worked out. Excellent. That, that's really
2: cool. Um, so let's tell us about your book. Uh, the book is called Hockey 365 Daily Stories from the Ice. So was that more kind of like just the genesis of everything that you had been working on?
0: Yes, it was, it was pretty much, um, I think, kind of a culmination of, of the stuff that I was doing on Twitter And then the articles I've been writing for places like vice. Um, So this was the, you know, the season of 2016, 17, I was writing uh, quite regularly for for vice and I was, you know, full on into the daily, uh, you know, hockey history tweets. And halfway through the year we were vacationing in Mexico and kind of you know, I was sitting on a beach, you know, probably having a few too many cervezas reading a hockey (laughs) book. Um, And I thought, you know what, like this is the, I've been reading hockey books for as long as I can remember, especially in the last little while when I started writing again, I was just only reading hockey. Um, And I thought this is the type of book that I like to read. So this is the type of book that I would want to write. And at the time I was under contract with university press to take my PhD work and turn it into a book. Uh, I was just never getting started with that. I just didn't have the motivation to do it. I think I'd spent too many years researching the subject and just never thought I would actually get a tangible like outcome in my hands. And so on the way home from Mexico, I sketched an outline kind of taking the stuff that I'd done already for, for vice uh, kind of pairing it with a lot of those uh, those tweets I've been doing. And I had an outline of a daily moment for every day of the year. Uh, And the original idea was having these longer essays and then having shorter stories in between. Once we kind of got rolling and I found a publisher, we agreed that I think that approach didn't make sense. And the novelty of one page per day, per story uh was was really the kind was the way to go and so that's kind of how it took shape um yeah so that was yeah the, that first book came out in 2018 um so i've got the second book coming out now and just less than a month away it comes out september 28th and again it's that one's the same same format hockey 365 but the second period uh but but 365 brand new stories i always say 365 but truly it is 366 because you've got to account for those leap years but yeah. from a marketing <laughs> perspective hockey 366 uh <laughs> You know, doesn't have the same right so. <laughs> well you gotta be careful too because next time it's gonna be the third period and then you'll be like the overtime and now oh uh the shootout. No, 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 no. Shootout round two, three hockey three six <laughs> yeah there's there's I think I'm definitely committed to doing the third period just to complete regulation, but you can you can go into so many different directions with yeah like overtime, sudden death, shootout, you know <laughs> So we'll see, I guess how how this book does, how the third one does, and how long the publisher wants to kind of keep doing this. But uh, there's certainly enough hockey history there out there uh, to sustain, you know, several more volumes. That's for sure. Yeah, and Mike,
3: yeah, Mike you ever you ever thought about converting like some fashion of your book into like one of those daily desk calendars where you rip off the the day and it's like a you know the facts or whatever?
0: Yeah, I actually have because I think that that's kind of where you know probably some of the inspiration this book came from, um, because I think actually in the first book I talk about um, in the introduction how like I think of it as a word of the day calendar, mm-hmm. like in overdrive, um, because that's essentially the idea here is that you kind of when you go to work every day you flip over the calendar. Although um, I've always had those, people would give them to me, and then I would go into work, and, you know, three months had passed and you're still kind of like three months behind. So like I truthfully never really yeah. kind of got into those, but there's definitely appeal in those, um, and that's kind of where. I thought if those work and people like those word of the day calendars, then like same kind of approach here with a page a day, you know, you can pick it up and put it down. It's not a read where, you know, everything is is linked throughout. Obviously, it's all part of hockey history. So they're all part of the same mesh. But you could certainly pick the book up today and then read a few pages and then kind of put it away for a few days, pick it up mm-hmm. again. And you're not necessarily having to, you know, remember where you're at because each page starts a brand new story and they're all pretty much self-contained.
2: You know, and that's an ideal format, especially for somebody who's got a very short attention span like me, that would be, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: people always say it's, you know, it's the perfect bathroom reader, but they kind of shy away when they tell me that as if that's a bad thing. It's honestly a oh. good thing. I mean, I think when, you know, when you're you're trying to come up with a concept of a book, I think your, your, your goal is to have people to read it. And so I think if people want to read it in the bathroom, I'm all for that. As long as somebody's, you know, I think I appreciate anybody who's willing to take, you know, their hard-earned money and their time and spend it with my word. So wherever they want to do that is is quite all right by me. And I'm more than happy to advocate for for having Hockey 365, uh, you know, as, as a bathroom reader. <laughs> yeah,
2: absolutely. And, I mean, I know you already do a podcast, but that actually might be, like, an interesting podcast idea to take each of those, you know, stories and make them their own. Yeah, I you know, agree. For, for for, uh, story.
3: Uh, or yeah. even like I'm uh, probably going to get to it, Mike, but, you know, bring a guest in and, you know, accompany the story uh, encompass it, you know?
0: Yeah, no. And it's funny you guys sure. say that because we'd actually talked about that when the first book came out about like doing an audio book. But rather than just doing a, a, a typical audio book, you know, maybe there is a way of packaging it as a podcast where you could do those. I could obviously read out a page and do that every day or or release them in chunks but I think as a podcast you could yeah certainly bring on a guest and kind of get into more details about you know this the story is about you on this day but obviously your career is much more than a page and we can kind of talk about it from there so we, we didn't end up doing that for the first book um, it's certainly something I'm interested in and people have always told me that audiobooks are very difficult you've got to spend a lot of time you know in the studio doing that um, I, I certainly think that especially for for a book of this length um, it would be a, it would be a tall order but I think a podcast might be a more uh, you know, manageable format and, and maybe just picking and choosing some of the moments from Hockey 365 rather than trying to, to tackle them all. And, and what would end up being probably like I don't even know how many hours it would be, but uh, it would be a it would be a pretty long audio book.
3: And that's kind of a perfect segue to what I want to talk about next is your unlikely innovators pod. You know, tell us how that kind of came to be and um, just I guess what your goal of each episode is.
0: Yeah, we've uh, so I've I've all, I've obviously been interested in podcasts. I've been fortunate enough uh, that that people like you invite me on their podcast. Uh, so I've been doing that, you know, for for a few years now, uh, people have I've often thought about starting, you know, my own hockey podcast. I just never, never found the time. I think I was at you know, writing has always been my focus. And so I've always thought of it like if I started my own podcast, it would probably come at the expense of some of the writing I was doing. So it never was really a good time, you know, to start something new. Um, but it was kind of always in the back of my mind. And then what I realized was that, you know, maybe, you know, hockey is not the way to go for me right now. Cause again, I was, you know, with my writing commitments and you all the other stuff I wanted to do. Um, I have a, a colleague that I work with and a friend of mine, Steve Gravel. Um, we both work at Cambrian college and we were both, you know, big consumers of podcasts. We've often talked about, you know, him, could him and I do a podcast just based on some of the, you know, the ramblings we have, you know, with each other in the office and, and we're like, well, no one's going to listen to that podcast. But what people might listen to is if it was about work and kind of highlighting, you know, the work that we do in the world of college applied research. And so um, that was kind of where the idea came. It was it was this past summer. You know, we thought that maybe that would be a good way to highlight an interesting story, you know, that's happening in the world of uh, of, of college research and in the private sector in terms of R&D and innovation And so him and I just kind of started doing it where we would we were focusing on different topics every week, you know, kind of going through the ins and outs of what college applied research is. Uh, But we really realized that I think for us to sustain the momentum, we had to start having on on guests. And that was really the that we were going to eventually get to that point anyway, because we called the show The Unlikely Innovators, because for a number of reasons, um, I think here in Canada, especially in Ontario, colleges are not seen as places where you would go for for innovation or research. It's often it's often the universities that are thought of as the, the bastions of research, but really colleges help companies innovate every day, uh, but it's still kind of a, uh, you know, a, a best kept secret. And so we wanted to shine a light that colleges are not unlikely, you know, sources of innovation. Steve and myself kind of come from humanities backgrounds, but we work with a lot of companies who are focused on tech adoption. So in our own rights, we're unlikely innovators because we came from history and now we're working with companies who are trying to, you know, come up with new technologies, to deploy underground and mining. Um, and so that's kind of been the theme we've been following with our guests is we like having on guests who are examples of unlikely innovators or unlikely entrepreneurs kind of going through their story of, you know, the, how they came to be where they are. So we've been fortunate enough that, um, you know, we've been able to continue the podcast. I think that's probably one of the most you know challenging things that I'm sure you two can attest to is just like, mm-hmm. once you started, like how do you maintain it and keep the consistency going? So <laughs> sure. we've been able to do an episode every week. We, we put it out. Um, and, yeah, I think it's just been a great way for us to hopefully promote the work that we're doing at Cambrian uh, and also highlight some of those cool stories that are happening not only in our backyard, but I think, you know, beyond Sudbury and across Canada uh, and, and, and beyond there as well.
2: Man, that's fantastic. That, yeah. that really is. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> obviously you are, are so much more than a, than a hockey writer and historian, obviously with that podcast, and you're also involved with a foundation, uh, the, the NEO Kids Foundation, correct? Yep. Yeah. NEO hey, tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, so I uh, I got on board with uh, with NeoKids uh, I guess formally um, just this past year uh, as as a as a member of the board of directors, uh, but I've I've all I think often uh, you know been a supporter of NeoKids locally here in town. The whole purpose of NeoKids is is obviously just to kind of just a quick geography lesson here. Sudbury is about four hours north of Toronto, and obviously you know Toronto has a Sick Kids uh, Hospital, which is you know world renowned for its care uh, you know mm-hmm. for, for for kids and, and and their families as well. Uh, but the thing here is in Northern Ontario, it's, it's difficult for families to obviously make those trips down South to get the care, especially for extended periods of care. Uh, it often leaves a kind of family split apart. So the goal of NeoKids is to help realize that, that goal of a specialized care facility that's available to families and kids in Northeastern Ontario. So not only Sudbury, but, you know, places like Timmins, North Bay, obviously those are much like, Timmins is much farther away from Toronto than we are. It's about a, you know, seven, to eight hour drive. So certainly, it's difficult for those families in those parts of the region, you know, to get the care uh, and attention that they need. And so uh, it's obviously been a cause that's been near and dear to my heart. Um, It's cliche to say it, but uh, you know, we had a a scare when we were in Toronto actually, and it just so happened that we were in a hotel that was just a block down from SickKids and my daughter had an accident in the hotel and we were able to go there and, and the care that we received was, was honestly second to none. And it just made me, you know, feel so thankful to have access to something like that you know, and in that moment, just down the street. But obviously, if we were in Sudbury, you know, it might have been a different story. And so it it made me, I think, a little bit more, you know, appreciative of of places like that and made me want to give back more locally to help ensure that families who are going through much more, you know, uh, scary things than we did that day, um, especially Mm -hmm. over long periods of time that they deserve to have, you know, the proper care and attention that their kids need and, and close to home. And so I got I got involved with them. Uh, the, the interesting thing about Neo Kids is obviously Nick Felino is, is a huge supporter of Neo Kids as well. His daughter Milana has obviously had her own her own struggles growing up. And, and so I think that he realized that the care that, you know, she's been getting, you know, in the United States is obviously he sees the need for that in Northeastern Ontario as a good Sudbury boy. And so, you know, he's, uh, I think, the honorary chair of the board. So there's obviously some already some hockey connections there. Every year he does uh, this tournament called NHL versus Docs where, some of the doctors from the hospital would play against uh, some NHL players. So Nick would usually bring in some of his some of his teammates from Columbus. Now he'll obviously be if he does it next year, it'll be maybe some teammates from Boston. You know, probably some former teammates from Columbus. His brother brings uh, you know some players as well, and it's a great way for the fans to get some you know some some NHL action in, in August. So you get uh, <laughs> you know you get some some exciting games. Obviously, we haven't been able to do that uh, because of the pandemic, but uh, but I think he wants to do one last send off before you know, before closing the chapter on, on that particular, uh, that fundraiser. But, uh, yeah, all that to say, I know this has been a really long answer, but, uh, when the first book came out, you know, one of the things I wanted to do was, was, was try to obviously get the book into as many hands as I could, but also give back. So I did a fundraiser with Neo kids for giving Tuesday that year. Uh, I donated all the proceeds from a book sale that I did over a course of two weeks and gave that back to Neo kids. So, um, yeah, so all that to say, you know, it's been a few years since I've been trying to find different ways you know, to help raise funds, tie it into hockey. Um, but, uh, but I've been fortunate enough to be able to join the board, um, you know, over this past year and really get involved in a, in a more, uh, you know, formal and strategic way.
3: And I mean, your answer was, was perfect because it kind of resonated with me and it's partly why we haven't had a, a, a podcast episode in I don't know what's got three weeks, uh, yeah, two, three <clears throat> weeks, but, um, Last week, my uh, my four week old daughter, she was in the pediatric ICU with uh, RSV. Oh. Um, but you know the hospital is forty five minutes from us. I also have twin three year olds, so I'm staying home with them. My wife's mm-hmm. at the hospital with their newborn, then she'll come home, and I'll go there. So we're like always displaced. So I mean, you're kind yeah, of yeah. What you just said kind of resonated with me. Just what I recently kind of went through.
0: Well, sorry to hear that. Hopefully, hope, how, how is uh sorry, is it your 4 week is uh 4 week old daughter? Yeah, she's doing much better, yeah. She's doing much better. That's good. Yeah, that's thanks. great to hear.
3: Yeah. yeah.
2: And I can tell you about my full-time job. I'm a firefighter paramedic and there's nothing scarier than seeing a kid in distress. That's you know, mm-hmm. that's hard. That that really is. So, you know, good for you, man, for doing that work because, you know, that's that's wonderful what you're doing. It, it really is, Mike. Thanks. But uh so uh, now that the uh season's going to be getting started back up here again anyways, um, and hopefully everything stays normal, uh, any plans to get to a Kings game, say Toronto, Buffalo, anything like that?
0: I, I would Otto? love to. Yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> um, it's It was one of those things that we were discussing, you know, before the pandemic happened. I think that was the year where I was going to try to either go down um, – to Toronto to catch them there. The timing didn't work out with work, but uh, like my goal was actually to go to LA and watch, you know, watch a game at Staples. So very cool. I, yeah. I don't think that's, I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen this year. That's still probably like a, another year away. Yeah. Uh, but I think obviously if things continue to, if things go well here in Ontario, and again, we're kind of uh, it's not necessarily trending, I think in the most uh, positive direction that we thought maybe three months ago, but ideally I'd love to love to catch some Leafs games this year. It's been a while. Um, the last NHL game that I went to, was actually in Minnesota the the wild host of the Oilers so at least I got to see you know Connor oh. McDavid there was there were a few <laughs> fights that night so it was a pretty exciting game um, but that was the last time I've seen I've seen NHL hockey so um, we'll see what happens this year but obviously if I can't get to a game I'm I'm just pretty excited to you know to watch the season start at at probably a normalish time of the year you know for the first time in a while and start to maybe feel you know that things are kind of getting back to normal Yeah, my
3: kind of last question and we'll let you go. But just want to get your preliminary thoughts on uh, predictions for the Leafs this year now that they're back in uh, their normal divisions.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, it's funny because the Leafs don't typically have a problem in the regular season. Right. So, like, I I fully expect (laughs) that, you know, obviously they're going to have more competition, you know, kind of being moved back into their traditional uh, format. So I, you know, I think that they've got some stiff competition in that group. Uh, but I fully expect that they'll probably put together a pretty solid regular season campaign. Mm-hmm. It's obviously the playoffs when, you know, none of that matters anymore, right? It's the it's the record that you kind of set, you know, each, each game, right? So, I mean, I think like most Leafs fans, you know, when they left, when they were eliminated in the playoffs, I, you know, I joked, you know, if the Kraken were taking new fans and, um, <laughs> you know, I was obviously, you know, people were getting on my case that like I was a fair weather Leafs fan, but I mean, in reality, like I was just...
3: You're frustrated. I'm, yeah,
0: I'm frustrated. <laughs> but like any any die in the wool like Leafs fan knows that like you're getting sucked back in no, next year no matter what. Like yeah. people like to say like I'm I'm done with the Leafs. I'm not watching Leafs anymore. I, you know after a few months go by, like you can't just you know pick up and root for another team. Like unless of course something disastrous happened and you had to like for like just disavow the franchise. But yeah. I think you know playoff losses are one thing. So I think I'm. I'm invested. I'm ready to get hurt again. Um, So (laughs) go Leafs go. It's kind of like Lucy and Charlie Brown on the football, you know? Yeah, yeah. This is going to be the year that she holds the football. And every year, you know. And
2: I hate hate to put you on the spot, but are they going to be able to re-sign Morgan Riley?
0: Oh, I mean, yeah. That's that's going to be a tough one. I mean, I think if we've seen anything over the summer with the price of uh, a free agent defenseman, like it's, yeah. that's going to be quite the payday that he's due for. If you look at some of his contemporaries right now. Right. So, I mean, I don't know how they're going to make that work. Um, I mean, he's a great player. I've, I've obviously loved his tenure with the Leafs, but, but certainly there'll be some other, con- you know, considerations, but I'll be interesting to see what they do with that. But I think certainly nobody thought, uh, you know, heading into the off season that some of those prices we'd see for some of those defensemen, certainly I think changes, uh, mm-hmm. you know, maybe sure. what we thought Riley would get, you know, a year ago versus, you know, what he's probably in line for now.
2: Yeah. And the amazing part is in a flat cap world, this all happened. Yeah. That's, that's the, the part that just blows my mind personally. I mean, but the good news is, is because it's still a flat cap world, maybe not every team can afford to throw him a $10 million AEV contract. So, yeah. you know, maybe there's wiggle room to be had there but yeah. So
0: no, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's funny last year you look at, you know, the prices that they, they got TJ Brody. I think that now is obviously a great deal. Uh, sure. So, but, but certainly, yeah, it's going to be, uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, one thing you can say about the Leafs is they're uh, they're never short on excitement. So whether it's good <laughs> or bad, uh, they always keep you on your toes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Mike,
2: thanks a million for coming on and taking the time to be with us. We really appreciate this. No, well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me guys. Appreciate it. Uh, right. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. That was Mike McCamito, uh, author of Hockey 365, Daily Stories from the Ice. Uh what a what a great guy. That was that was awesome. That was awesome. That was really, really cool. And I, I tell you, I like that idea you had about the, the, the tearaway calendar.
3: Yeah. I would buy yeah that in that's, a heartbeat. that's exactly, you know, I, I had one um uh, I had one for a Chicago Bears calendar that it would come into the office every day and um it was either like a fact or a trivia question
2: yeah yeah my dad had one of those when i was growing up it was a general sports one and he always used to get mad because i would like look ahead and i would always like tear the thing off on him so he never knew what day it was so he finally ended
3: up hiding it for me so (laughs) but yeah anyway um i know you got russ coming in i'm gonna head out
2: what's up kings fans and welcome back to part two of our podcast so we've lost ryan ryan had uh apparently had an editor shakespearean type things to do so but don't don't fret because in his place we have our other regular co-hosts coming on back for part two he is known as the prince of pdo he is the prince of court or the king of Corsi, i should say but he's also the birthday boy so i'm gonna bring him in mr
1: russell morgan what's going on pal what's up scotty good to be back uh Talking Kings hockey again. Yeah, how was your birthday? It was good. It was good. Uh, got to go to the uh, skills showcase on Saturday. Um, that was a lot of fun. The Kings did a, a really good job uh, getting the fans excited. The, I know the fans got a kick out of it. and the Some of the future stars got to show off their skills. I, um, and then went to the Dodger game that night. And the Dodgers got a victory over the um, Colorado Rockies. So all around good day. Good day. Yeah, I saw that on, on, your, on your Twitter feed there. It, it looked like a great night. Yeah, it was a great night. So always uh, right. when you can see Kings and uh, Dodgers in the same day, it doesn't happen too often. So that was pretty cool. I, don't yeah, know, I think that was probably you, the first time I've ever celebrated my birthday in Staples Center. Don't usually see the Kings on the ice in August, so that was yeah. pretty cool. Well, that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. And you know,
2: speaking of cool too, um, I just want to let everybody know before we get going here, our colleague uh, Ryan Cowley who does tremendous work for us here at hockeyroyalty.com. His mm-hmm. article is just top notch, Well, he's actually released a book. Uh, it's called all the right words. My journey as a sports writer who stutters and uh, you know, best of luck to him. I'll tell you to do what Ryan does is, is absolutely incredible. And uh, his mm-hmm. books available at Amazon, I think uh, com wherever you can find it. So if you want a great read, by all means, check this book out, because I'll tell you something, if you like Ryan's articles, you're going to love this book. So you will not be disappointed. So uh, with that said, looks like we've got some King's news to talk about. Um, a certain Mr. Russell Morgan himself got to attend
1: development camp. So uh, tell us, buddy, what did you see at development camp? Yeah, I was there for a couple of days. there for um, the Wednesday afternoon session and a little bit of the Friday morning scrimmage. Uh, it was really cool. Uh, just being able to see Kings hockey, I guess, uh, was always is always a fun thing to see. There's there a couple of fans there, so um, I'm sure they got a kick out of it also. But, yes, yeah, so a lot of good uh, young players uh, in the mix. And one one side thing that I thought was really cool was uh, Jared Stahl and Matt Green seemed like they were having a little bit more fun than the players were on the ice. But, so that was pretty cool. But, um, yes, yeah, so a, a lot of good young uh, stars. Uh, Andre Lee was kind of one of the big names that I thought – Again, no pun intended, but one of the big names that kind of made a name for himself during camp, um, big kid, seventh round pick in 2019. And uh, when he's able to get the puck along those boards, it's hard to get away from him. I mean, he's got those Alexander uh, skill set when, in terms of protecting the puck along the board. So, and he, he had a nice little goal um, during five on five play on Wednesday, uh, scoring top shelf, kind of got some oohs and ahs from the crowd. So that was pretty cool. Um, and then, uh, Another player that I thought that I was actually excited to see was Martin Kromiak. And he was a fifth round pick in that 2019 draft as well, or 2020, I'm sorry. Um, But I've always been really high on him since the Kings drafted him. He's got really talented skill set, really fast skater. Once he gets going from blue line to blue line, it's hard to stop him. And he did a lot of um, those Pavel Dotsu kind of takeaways that was pretty cool to see where he was able to take the puck away in the defensive zone. And then skate it all the way up to the blue line and try to make a play happen. So that's a really, that's another play I'm really excited about. Um, I know it started off with a little bit of a unfortunate with uh, Quentin Byfield having to leave the first day, uh, and then Alex Turcott having to go through emergency surgery. That was really unfortunate, but it sounds like they both um, will make a recovery. And they had mentioned the Kings had mentioned that Turcott should come back uh, for the rookie tournament in Arizona. And then I think the Quentin Byfield injury was more or less precautionary. So looking forward to seeing what they can bring. Cause it sounded like they the Alex Turcott especially was making a big impact in his first game back or his first real kind of proven scene back.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, Alex Turcotte actually had uh, an emergency epidectomy. So epidectomy, Yeah, should be, he should be ready to go. And hopefully, like you said, Byfield is all precautionary with his foot. Uh, Couple questions. Uh, how uh, how do we not have hashtag Andre the Giant going yet?
1: I know, right? It's just how. Oh. It's, oh, it's too easy, almost. I would say. I, don't <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's pretty wild because I mean, you see the pictures on the first couple days, and then when I got there on Wednesday, okay, like this is the first player I got to see because I mean, everyone's talking about him, and then more like you see him on is easily the most identifiable player on the ice. I mean, just from his size standpoint alone, so. Um, sure. He's got a lot of size, and if he's able to use it um, to his advantage, really, then he could he can be a more, i I project him maybe like a bottom six player in the NHL. I mean, you, you think of like a Jordan Noling type player who was also a seventh round draft pick. I mean, he's got that skill set where he, he's got he's got some hands and he's got some size that he can use, so it's a good play. Yeah, player. I mean... Could you imagine, you know, a few years down the road, you have, like, Andre
2: Lee, Samuel Hellenius. I mean, mm-hmm. man will be scouting out Kings or Kings
1: games. You know? yeah, exactly. I, I know. It was the first. I mean, a Hellenius and Andre Lee on the same line. I mean, they're <laughs> just going to be, just put them two together. They can probably cover the whole ice with their wingspan. I know, right? <laughs> and, you know, you mentioned Martin Krobiak. Uh, he
2: fell for whatever reason. I mean, there were some in, in the 2020 draft, they had him... Uh, projected to be a a low first-round pick, and he, for whatever reason, fell down to the fifth round and, thank God, into the Kings' laps. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do believe he's going to be returning to Kingston
1: of the Ontario Hockey League this year, correct? Correct, yeah. He's going to be teammates with uh, projected number one overall pick next season, uh, Shane Wright, so that'll be a fun duo to watch.
2: That's going to be really fun. Mm -hmm. Anybody else stand out to you at development camp?
1: Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about Brant Clark, uh, I know there's a lot of talk about what Andre Lee did. Samuel Fagmo had a good camp, but Brant Clark, man, King's got a good one here. He's, he, I mean, you don't want to make the comparisons to Drew Dowdy, but they're there. I mean, when you hear, when, when you're watching the ice and watching the players on the ice and whenever a, a player makes a nice play or some nice defense or any type of nice play, the first player's voice you hear is Brant Clark cheering him up, hyping him up, sticks on the ice. And it's just you hear that charisma that we've noticed from these press conferences mm-hmm. actually on the ice translate to the ice as well. So, I mean, that's just a, a great skill to, or a great trait to have if, if you're a teammate on a team. And not just from a skill standpoint, I mean, he's great when he comes to making an impact. I mean, he knows when to jump into play offensively, and his defensive game is great. I mean, in the uh, two-on-one on drills I saw um, on Wednesday, he was breaking up duos and and really handily with like duos like uh, Samo Fagmo and Rasmus Kapari, Francesco Pinelli and Martin Kromiak. I mean, the way he was using his ed- edges and his stick to break up plays and then skate the puck out of t- his defensive zone was just incredible to watch. And I mean, it's it's hard to imagine the Kings giving him a chance to make an impact or giving him a couple games this season, but I can see him making uh, the Kings roster next year. Yeah, I mean, that's well, you know, he chances
2: are, I think he probably returns to his junior team this year in Barry. But I mean, you never know, you might see him for nine games towards the end of the season. You know, that, that option is still there, especially if you know Barry doesn't advance very far or whatever happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, the, the thing about Brant Clark is too, you know, it, it's been talk in the Kings world over and over again for the past few months about oh, we got to get a young dynamic left defenseman, got to get a young <laughs> dynamic left right. And by the looks of things, the price tag on that young, dynamic left defenseman is going absolutely through the roof. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're going to have to trade for him, it's going to cost you a boatload of, you know, prospects, draft capital. And then you're going to have to pay said player at least $9 million a season. So, you know, the thing is, is with Brant Clark coming along like he is and eventually, you know, making the Kings roster, hopefully, you know, as early as next season. To me, honestly, that kind of alleviates the need. I know they want somebody, to, you know, dynamic and all that with Doughty and all that. But personally, I think they'll be just fine with having Mikey Anderson playing with Drew Doughty. You know, it, you break uh, you break Brant Clark and, you know, say next season. And mm-hmm. what with somebody like a Toby Bjornford or whatever? Because mm-hmm. if Bjornford gets his playing time this year, that's going to be one more year of experience. So to me. It almost kind of cancels out the the need to go overboard anyway. I'm sure eventually they would like to have a little bit more scoring from their left side. Mm -hmm. But, you know, with that said, it also kind of looks like the Kings have got a ton of defensemen all of a sudden as far as coming up through the ranks. So something is going to have to give here eventually. Um, And it also looks like they've got a ton on the right side.
3: So Mm -hmm.
2: to me, it almost looks as though somebody's going to either have to move to the left side or they're going to have
1: to make some deals. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. And it's funny that you mentioned that some a player would have to move to the left side who's on the right side because, I mean, we're looking at the prospect depth chart. We're talking about Drew Doughty, who's not going anywhere. Matt Roy, who I think they should hold on to, who's great talent. Sean Walker, who knows, he, that might be the player that the Kings potentially move. Um, Brant Clark, Brock Faber, Helga Grons. Um, there's there's just names that go down the line there. I mean, Jordan, Jordan Spence, yeah, who also had a good camp. Um, but I mean, uh, a player if if there's any player that I think would possibly have the potential to move to the left side, it's Brock Faber. And the reason I say that is because he's got a lot of comparisons to Alec Martinez, and that's something that Alec Martinez was able to do really easily. And with Brock Faber's skating ability, if he is able to move to the left side and play that position really well, that I mean that bodes really well for the Kings going forward and and their defensive core going forward. But I mean, it's funny because I think I think the Kings actually drafted one of their defensive pairings of the future in this past draft with Kirill Korsanov and Brant Clark. I mean, Korsanov okay. is a player that is known for his defensive game and you pair him with Brant Clark, who's known for his offensive game. So it's like you sure. you have a perfect match right here. And <laughs> if if and the way Markianetti was talking about Korsanov, it sounded like he's going to make an impact a lot sooner than later. So with my projection of having Brant Clark coming into the lineup possibly as early as next season, who knows? Maybe we see Krasanov with the rain next season and maybe even with the Kings after that. So there's a lot to like about the Kings defensive core.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, the nice thing about Krasanov is he's already got professional experience playing in the KHL. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's not playing, you know, he's not one of those six to eight minute a night guys. I mean, he's getting playing time. He's what, what they say. He was averaging like 18 minutes a game last season, I believe it was.
1: Yeah, and for it, a really we, good St. Petersburg team.
2: Yeah, and, I mean, Mm -hmm. okay, so he's not an offensive powerhouse, but you know what? You don't need six offensive powerhouses on your defense. You have to have guys back there to defend, you know, because, I mean, it kind of goes along with the name, right, defenseman, so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, if we look back at the past Kings defensive, I mean, when they won the Stanley Cup, I mean, you have players like Robin Regear, Matt Green, Willie Hatchel, like players that focused on defense, Rob Scuderi. That's what those players did, and they paired really well with those offensive Drew Dowdies or Alec Martinez's of the game so you need those players
2: absolutely absolutely so I mean just my opinion but I don't think there's really any need to you know give up the farm so to speak to get that magical left young dynamic defenseman to be perfectly Mm -hmm. honest
1: Uh, there's there's not really any available either I mean yeah like you mentioned it's like you hear the names floating around I mean we talked about possibly um Rasmus Dahlin it doesn't sound like he's going to be on the move I mean but I mean, like you mentioned, the way that, yeah, exactly. I know much be your displeasure, but the, <laughs> like you mentioned, like the, the price that you'd have to pay for, I mean, look at what Seth Jones of all people got. He got what two first round picks and, and the contract that he, he got is just, I mean, the Kings should be lucky that they didn't have to dig into the prospect pool for any kind of deal and just being able to acquire the players they did like Victor Arvidsson and Philip Deneau with giving them no high end prospects at all. So.
2: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and really the only one that I could potentially see even being a available and he's not doesn't qualify under the, the young part of it, but Morgan Riley, maybe if the Leafs can't afford to resign him. But there and again, he's going to want to get paid because he's going to be hitting his first big UFA contract. And that's you're looking at, guess what, nine to 10 million a year. And do you really want to pay that kind of money for Morgan Riley? Personally, I, I don't think that'd be a good move for the Kings, but yeah. I'm not Rob Blake, so I don't know, but let's, we'll see what happens. <laughs> so speaking of Kings defensemen, uh, unfortunately we have an injury to report. Uh, Kim No uh, a fourth round pick for the Kings. I believe it was the 2018 draft. Uh, looks like he's going to be out for 12 weeks. They're saying, uh, I guess he had a collision with another player. So obviously he's going to recover, but he's going to miss about three months playing time. So <clears throat> I don't, hopefully he'll come back strong and I don't know, potentially maybe see him with the rain next year. What do you think?
1: Yeah, it was an unfortunate injury with uh noisy on Um Kings. Uh, what was it? Fifth round pick in 2019. And he led his uh, Liga team last, uh, last year in, in points. and points. And there's some really good comparisons that when looking at, it, he's got a 50% looking at hockey, hockeyprospecting.com, or HockeyProspecting.com, uh, He's got a 52% NHL or probability. So He's got some good skill, and he's uh, really known as the kind of an offensive-type defenseman. He's, he's on the smaller side. Um, but if you're looking at uh, closest comps right here, I'm thinking about like a Brendan Smith or a Jake McCabe. So possibly seeing him with the rain next season. I, I believe he might still have a contract with uh, the Liga team over there in Finland, but we'll see what happens next season.
2: Yeah, and you know what? You know, the more I think about that, if he does have a, another year with Liga, it might almost be better off for him to stay over there to play in that league. You know, because he's playing against, you know, men, professionals, you know, whatnot, and then come over the following season because, to be perfectly honest with you, it kind of looks like the, the rain are going to be loaded as well. I'm trying to, <laughs> you know, <get> So... <laughs> Yeah, we you gonna play
1: yeah. him here I mean we he got he's a fantastic being,
2: problem coming here yeah so.
1: exactly I know right this is a great yeah. problem to have but I mean if you do bring him over here there's not going to really be a lot of minutes but if he's getting that the good quality playing time over there in the liga I mean that's not a, a bad league to play in I mean it's known as probably the third best league in in the world so um and I believe he was also supposed to be one of the alternate captains for his team so he's he's not, he's known as a um, he's, he's was supposed to be a really good um, impact player for them this season, so it was a big loss for that team. But um, he should be back in a couple months, and hopefully, he returns to form. Well, and that's just, and you know, the, the
2: fortunate part, I guess, if you could say the silver lining, so to speak, would be that he is going to be back this season. So, mm-hmm. you know, well, well, maybe our our friends over at the Making It Rain podcast will be talking about him coming to the rain maybe next year. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. we'll drop the word. <laughs> <laughs> So, one last news item for us to talk about. We were having a, a very interesting discussion about this yesterday. Uh the Carolina Hurricanes have signed Jesper Kokaniami, sorry, to a one year, you said six, that better than I would have. You know what, every time I hear that last name I want to hear Barry Manilow singing it to the Copa Banana. <laughs> That's all you know. But I'm not going to bother singing it, don't worry about it. I won't scare everybody. <laughs> but anyway, they signed him to an offer sheet, one year, 6.1 million dollars. Now, I know you and I have very differing opinions on this, but I'll give you the
1: floor first. Tell me why this is a good thing, Russ. First of all, I think it's just hilarious. I mean, yes. everything that Carolina did here is just like WWE, like totally, <laughs> like enter, purely entertainment value. If you're just looking at it from that standpoint, I, I mean, you have to love everything that they did here. I mean, even the tweets after they're tweeting it out in French, you know don waddell's specifically quote by quote saying what they said what the uh canadians said when they offered sebastian aho i mean it's just i i, I love it so but from a hockey standpoint that's where I, I can see where your concerns are but i mean we're thinking about the carolina hurricanes i mean they're in a win-win now situation they've they're they have a lot of one-year deals on their books they're looking to make that jump into an actual like le- legit stanley cup contender they have a lot of talent and I can see that I'm making that jump. So there is an overpayment here. I, I believe some contract projections had him getting like two, two, just over $2 million for maybe a couple yeah. years. So $6 million for one year. I mean, if you're the player, like why wouldn't you sign that deal? Right. Like I'm going to get everything I would in three years for one year. Sure. Why not? And he's also getting, um, going to have a a, dis, a a time to sign another contract after this after next season so i mean the canadians did or the canadians are in a tough situation here it's pretty much lose lose for them because for them to have to match this offer that's going to put them even further over the cap which they didn't want to be or if they don't send then they lose a potentially good young forward that they were kind of hoping to have maybe in the future um he isn't hopefully I'm not butchering that name but he isn't he hasn't really lived up to the potential that he was supposed to be yet, but he's still only a 21 year old center who, if you play him in maybe the right situation could potentially live up to that um, potential. So I, I, I like it. What I don't love what the hurricanes did. I mean, I love what they did from an entertainment standpoint, but from a hockey perspective, I think it's a good move. I don't think it's a great move, but I do see why they did it. Okay. So
2: here's, you know, I mean, Okay, the entertainment thing, whatever. I mean, that's that's Tom Dunham <laughs> and the Sebastian, oh, the twenty dollars okay. signing
1: bonus, so Sebastian you know, Ajo's number. That's just oh, that's brilliant, brilliant.
2: Yeah, I mean, that, if that's how they get their kicks, then fine, whatever. I mean, that <laughs> you know, it is what it is. I couldn't even care less about that. Um, but here's the here's the thing, right? Six point one million to this guy and i understand he's 21 and i understand he was a number three overall pick even though he was a tremendous overreach at number three let's be honest okay yeah. so yes he can sign a new contract after this but why would he why would he because to re-sign him as an rfa again carolina is going to have to give him another 6.1 million aav contract because yeah. that's qualifying offer now so yeah i get it they pay him the 6.1 million. If he pans out great. Right. But if you're coming to me, why would you say, okay, well here, I'll sign for three more years at 4 million per year, say when he can turn around and say, well, no, you have to qualify me at 6.1 million. And if I have another great year, guess what? I'm going to make even more money. And if I don't, Oh, well, but he's already made over $12 million more than he ever thought he was going to make in the process. And the other thing is too, Yes, this was all about trolling Montreal. Don't tell me that it wasn't. But where is he going to go? Or where is he going to play in this lineup? Because think about it. They got Ajo. Jordan Stahl's not going anywhere. They just signed Derek Stepan. Or Stepan, sorry. Mm-hmm. But what are you going to do? Pay pay him $6.1 million to be your fourth-line center? It, it just simply makes no sense. And if I'm Montreal, yeah, okay, it, it hurts. You know, he was a young player, and he could develop into something but it's not like they're not going to get anything out of this. They're getting a first round pick and a third round pick. And think about, and now this is always a, a risk, always a risk, of course. But let's say Carolina's season goes down in flames. Say they got get hit with a lot of injuries or something, right? Mm-hmm. That first round pick is not lottery protected. Let's just say that Carolina misses the playoffs. They just handed Montreal a lottery pick mm-hmm. for somebody that has nowhere, does not even come close to living up to the, his potential. Not yet, anyway. I mean, I'll, and I'll give you a little. And I just saw this on Twitter a little while ago, so I have to mention this, right? Uh, one of my favorite Twitter follows, uh, West Coast Hockey Bias. He's
1: he's hilarious. I love him, right? <laughs> he just loves, tweeted loves out to disagree. Yes, it's great, <laughs> but it's great. I love it.
2: <laughs> he just tweeted out that uh, Espericacaniemi or Kakaniemi, sorry, and Austin Wagner both have twenty two goals in one hundred and seventy one games. How would you feel about giving Austin Wagner six point one million for a year? <laughs> yeah, that'd be tough. That'd be a
1: tough spot yeah, to fill as well. that's what and, I mean, right? So <laughs> and I and I think this is kind of where I mean I've mentioned this before, but I, I think the Canadians run to the Stanley Cup finals this past season was the flat like the flash in the pan that I was oh, that Yeah, I think we all kind of maybe can agree on that. I don't right. know, Canadians don't think so. But I mean this team wasn't projected to be as good as they were last season. They're still a young and almost kind of in the middle of a rebuild kind of team. I mean, they don't even really have their number one goalie, um, who's still in the who's in the prospect pipeline to back up Carey Price. I, the name is not on top of my head right now, but I mean, you, you look at their their lineup right now. Nick Suzuki is still a young player; he's still developing. Yes, Barry Kami is still still developing. I mean, Shea Weber. I mean, now he's probably not even to play anymore. I mean, so that um, the impact that players like that made it almost elevated their value maybe a little too much to where now they can't really afford them and they weren't really looking to have to pay that much money to some of these young players now but so Carolina, who saw that saw that um angle and took it straight up yeah true but you know what if if Kakaniemi goes
2: it gives a young player like a ryan Pollock a chance
1: yeah that's that's another big no cause cause I mean,
2: and that I mean, so there's, it's not like they're going to be without. And not only that with, with this signing now, Carolina just found suddenly found themselves buttered up against the cap. And by the way, if you're Andre Svechnikov, how are you feeling right now? He's like, Oh man, I just got 7.8 million a year. Yay. <laughs> Wait a minute. This guy got 6.1. Million? What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> I knew I should have waited to sign that contract. <laughs> But he did get eight years out of it, so I guess he can't complain. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it all works out. It it really is. Um, Again, if I'm Montreal, I I say, you know what? It was nice knowing you. Good luck in Carolina. See ya. Yeah, I think that's what they have to do. Third round pick and start rebuilding your prospect pool. Because you're right. I mean, let's face it. Montreal is not a Stanley Cup contender. Last year was a nice story. Nice Mm -hmm. Cinderella run. Great. But I don't think you're going to see that again this year, and honestly, I don't think Kocaniami makes a difference either way for them this year. So, you know,
1: take yeah, the picture. Of- yeah, I agree, and I think that's kind of. I, it sounds like that's going to have to be the decision they make because I mean, right now they're, I believe, they're two million dollars over the cap right now. So if you right. bring in Yospery, then you're going to be eight millions over eight million dollars over the cap, and that's I believe with Shea Weber's LTIR. Yeah. So I mean, where do you go from there? I mean, they just have to wave and say sorry but it'll right. be interesting it'll be interesting when uh carolina plays in montreal to see how the canadian fans oh. welcome him back that'll be it that'll be a fun game to watch yeah but who could blame him for signing that contract you know oh, yeah that's That'd what be... i'm saying i mean the the player i mean how can you be mad at the player yeah, i mean exactly this is right? just two teams that are dueling at each other now for the offer sheets that he's just in the middle of but he's getting the most benefit out of it it's like okay yeah sure you want to give me $6 million to be a, the butt end of a joke? I'm cool with that. Yeah, he's the guy who's <laughs> playing scratch-off lottery tickets and just
2: hit the big one. he, what's yeah, he exactly. But exactly. I'll tell you, if, Carol, if Carolina really wanted to troll him, they should have waited till next year when Nick Suzuki hits RFA. Oh, yeah. That That's been when they
1: should have really saved it for. I know. They're well, probably calling Nick Suzuki's agent right now saying, we are. need to sign you. We'll give you however much money you need. We'll get rid of whoever. Don't worry. <laughs> exactly. All their <laughs> RFAs are going to be signed in a lot earlier now, I'm sure. <laughs> Carolina's not going to I have a first that, pick for the next five years, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I guess this kind of goes into, I mean, a, a larger discussion around the league now of really what is an offer sheet at this point. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, right now, I mean, we always thought of offer sheets as dinosaurs, but now, I mean, now they're almost just like if you really want to mess with the team, I mean, it's really about you really need to offer sheet a player because that's really. I mean, look at what it did to Carolina. They got they were so pissed off by it that they went up ended up paying a, a player three times the amount he was worth just to get the team back. So who knows how that's gonna impact the NHL going forward. Yeah, and apparently they
2: had been trying to trade for him. So they, they really see mm-hmm. something in him. I guess Montreal just wasn't, you know, impressed with the package they were offering or, or whatever. So I don't know if it was wasn't as impressive as a first and third round pick. I don't know what's going on. I'm sure that'll come out eventually.
1: But yeah, yeah. He's got some he's got some Finnish friends on the team as well. I mean, Ajo's from Finland, Tero, Tevo Teravainen, and also I believe he skates with them in Finland quite a bit. So I'm sure they saw that chemistry and wanted to have it in Carolina. So there's a lot there's a lot of dynamics going on in Carolina with the signing of Tony D'Angelo and this yeah. and the whole like all the caney eggs. It's it's really a kind of a WWE kind of yeah, NHL I, franchise. It's, I just think it's funny that you know some
2: of these people that think that you know they just signed you know Wayne Gretzky or something. It's yeah, like guys I know, yeah. okay, Relax. The breaks a little bit here. Yeah, he was a healthy scratch in the playoffs. Okay, settle down, <laughs> you know. Right, yeah. <laughs> but you're right, that's a that's a very interesting dynamic because not only you know, like you just mentioned the D'Angelo signing, but Dougie Hamilton's gone. They let uh, Alex, no, no doubt, the Del the Delvick, I can never say that name. Sorry. I know I butchered it Detroit, the goaltender. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it, it's a lot of moving parts. We'll see what happens. I mean, I, mm-hmm. but like I said, I just personally, I would never have offered that, that offer sheet for him at that money. Um, but I don't know, maybe I can be proven wrong, but I don't
1: think so. You pay a little bit more to be funny in the NHL nowadays.
2: Yeah, right. Well, it, 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 I guess we did need some entertainment value. And we certainly yeah, got that. <laughs> Oh boy. Well, buddy, I think that's about it. I think that's all we got for now. So um I'm sure uh next time we talk we'll have some more King's news. Um, hopefully anyways. Good news, by the way. Good news. But yeah, uh yeah. yeah. So it's been fun. I hope you enjoyed your birthday. And um mm. wanna wanna thank Mike Camuto for coming on and um Well, guys, that's all we got, so uh, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week, and Go Kings Go!